Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens, and sitting across the desk from me in the studio of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, as usual, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor Murphy. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who might be listening to the program. It is an honor to have you set aside time on your Tuesday evening to participate with us on this live interactive call-in program. And I say participate because... We want your interaction. We look forward to your interaction. That's what this program is all about. If you have a question, maybe it's something that you have wondered about the Bible for years and years and you don't have an answer. Maybe it's something that came up even in a discussion today with someone at the grocery store or at work or on the way to and from work on the bus about the Christian worldview or about life, why things seem to contradict world systems, whatever it may be, we are here to answer your questions from a biblical worldview. We are going to jump right into our first question for the night, and this came in uh, over the last week. Uh, Pastor, this comes from a listener in Antigua. If the COVID vaccine becomes mandatory for travel and jobs and business, could it be the mark of the beast talked about in end times? Um, the answer to that question is definitely no. Um, if you check Revelation chapter 13, uh, 16 to 18, you'll find that you're given some specifics in regard to the mark of the beast. Uh, for example, where it's going to be located. It's going to be in your right hand or in your forehead. Uh, you're also told why it is given. It's to restrict commerce and trade. Nobody can buy, nobody can sell. And we're also told that uh, what is going to be the actual name of the beast and the number of the beast. Uh, so when you look at all of those factors, um, it becomes very clear that we're not dealing here with uh, the mark of the beast. Uh, I know there are a lot of conspiracy theories that are being echoed out there on the Internet, and we ought to be uh, try to avoid being sensational and um, be more reasonable on, on this whole matter. However, I would like to say this. The current situation uh, portends and helps us understand how a global compliance is going to be feasible and possible in the future. And so we are actually seeing what could actually happen and how uh, everybody would comply globally. So, uh, but in, to, to, to your specific question, whether or not it's, you need the vaccine to travel or to uh, get a job or business, that has nothing to do with the, the, what the Bible talks about in, in Revelation chapter 13. Nathan, I don't know if you want to just read 
verse 16, 17, and 18 for, for me. Yes, of Revelation 13? Yes, please. All right. Revelation 13, 16, 17, and 18 says, And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And no man might that no man might buy or sell, save he that had he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. Yeah, I think that's fairly, fairly specific in terms of the uh, where it's going to be placed in terms of what's the purpose. It has an economic coercion, really. And what it's going to be, it's going to be the name of a person. And it's also that name when it's... Uh, let me explain where the 666 comes from. Uh, if you take the Hebrew letters or the Greek letters, each Hebrew letter and each Greek letter has a value. And so um, I believe that when this thing happens, that person's name, if you take that person's name and transpose it into the Greek language or the Hebrew language and take the number value, it will come up to 666. Now, this has been done frequently, by the way. They claim Hitler was the Antichrist, even claim that Reagan was the Antichrist, etc., etc., because it took his name and uh, did the same thing, turning it into the Greek letter and the Hebrew letter, and came up with 666. But don't be dismayed by that, because when the Antichrist does come, uh, his name is going to come up to that equivalent. And that's why the Bible says, he that has wisdom will understand then. Uh, so that is what's going to happen. But this has nothing to do with the, the mark of the beast. But it does give us an indication how you can get global compliance. And notice also that the 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 false prophet, who is the second uh, person in the end time, who will work jointly with the Antichrist, uh, he is the one that's going to impose this and cause uh, others to receive the mark because he's going to deceive the world by miracles and signs and wonders pointing that this one is the promised Messiah he's the one to come and the whole world will follow him and Second Thessalonians tells us why that those that refuse to believe the truth now will be judici- judicially blinded by God so that they accept a lie and, f- and uh, be deceived and fall into deception Someone recently told me that the internet is the mark of the beast, that if you take the letter W and you put it in the Greek or the Hebrew, mm-hmm. you get WWW is 666. What are your thoughts? I, 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 look, it's very, very clear that we're dealing with a personality in, okay. in Revelation chapter 13. Uh, and we also know that the Antichrist really is a fake Christ. So just like Christ was a, a real person, he is going to be a real person. Uh, we can't allegorize these uh, passages of Scripture unless we come up with complete nonsense. So I think um, I, I, I think that's a you know people are people uh, even during the uh, the war that they had in Iraq and, and stuff like that. There are people who are going into the Old Testament and finding words like Basra and trying to somehow link that with uh, and it had nothing to do with it when you look at the historical context. People are always trying to be sensational, and we and that's the danger of um, the damage that's done to Scripture when people try to make uh, certain prophetic statements, and then they turn out turn out to be true. It causes people to discredit the Bible, especially when it comes from ministers of the gospel. For example, there are a lot of people who were claimed to be prophets, who are proven to be false prophets because of the Trump election. Uh, a lot of them predicted that he would have had a, a second term. 
he did, didn't get it, and that has kind of destroyed a lot of what is called the prophetic gift today. They're now putting a new spin on it, but the, the fact is that that's what they said, and it didn't happen. So it means you should stone him according to the Bible, right? <laughs> well, if if the people were wise enough and weren't uh, deluded by all of this emphasis on signs and wonders and miracles, and they were more discerning and more objective and took the Bible literally, they would understand that these people are discredited. And they're not true prophets, they're just false prophets. But we're living in a time of religious deception, and, and people want people that uh, they just agree with. And so they close their blind eyes to these anomalies and these contradictions. And uh, it, it just amazes me how easily a person can go from uh, making a prophet that turns out to be false and still able to maintain some level of credibility with those that uh, follow him. You, men- <laughs> you mentioned that we're living in a time of deceit or confusion. Is it possible for a born-again believer to get sucked up in that uh, deceit? Yeah, I think we can get... Look, if believers are not using the Word to guide them and to help them to, to make judgments on what's going on currently, uh, this clearly this can be deceived. Like, uh, what's going on in the States, um, I mean, it hasn't happened much here in Antigua, uh, so far, but you've got churches now that um, are, quite frankly, going so contrary to Scripture, and yet they're using it in the term of toleration and uh, being non-discriminatory, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, and that staggers me, because the church has always been an entity that has stood up, uh, and uh, it is its value is the fact is in its difference. If it becomes like the world, it has completely becomes absorbed. It no longer is an entity that offers a, a contrast. And what's been happening uh, currently, because the pressure is being placed on so many people, that religious leaders are just kowtowing to the pressure from the political uh, people. And uh, they are surrendering their Christian principles and values and morals and trying to embrace uh, what is completely... And, and it staggers me that there are a lot of... Uh, formerly good people, I would say, very, very sound, who are now singing a different tune. And I just think it is part of the deception that our Lord... Remember what our Lord said? If it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. That gives you an idea of how pervasive this this, uh, deception is going to be. And the only safeguard against deception is truth, and the only source of truth is Scripture. So people have got to get back to the Bible, otherwise they're going to be deceived. Along those lines, I just saw today, Pastor, a headline that the largest Protestant adoption agency in the United States announced this week that they are going to begin offering services, adoption services, to homosexual and lesbian couples. My view on that, that's an atrocity. Uh, That is so contrary to Scripture. Not only is the homosexual lifestyle evil and wicked and ungodly, but then to put innocent children in that kind of environment. Remember that homosexuals cannot reproduce. So they've got to create a new generation. And what better place to start than with kids? And uh, kids are very impressionable. And I don't have to uh, say the people who are listening and who are aware of these situations, most of these homosexuals uh, that became homosexuals and claimed to be born homosexuals, in most cases, they were somehow abused and got engaged in this kind of activity at a very, very early age. And and now this thing is going to repeat itself. So I'm grieved when you mentioned that this evening. Uh, and I think people who support those kind of uh, institutions should actually withdraw their support and maybe create something different. 
But you cannot uh, practice evil in the name of, of Christ when the Bible is so clear that these things are wrong. What advice would you have for, let's say, there's a Christian couple who's uh, pursuing adoption or is in the process of ad- doing adoption with that agency? Obviously, they are heterosexual. They are living by biblical s- principles. Uh, is that a conscience thing as to whether they should pull out and look for another agency, or is that a clear-cut well, passage I think, in Scripture? I think it is an alternative and uh, one that is more biblical. I think they should go in that direction. Uh, but, but again, uh, it seems to me that money rules the world, and in many cases rule a lot of Christian institutions as well. I think that's the, the problem. And once it becomes a money matter, uh, and that is the philosophy that drives it, and it's not the philosophy to be in harmony with Scripture and to follow biblical principles, uh, any time that becomes the motive, uh, it's not very long before the standards begin to drop and you begin to accommodate all kinds of wrongdoing. Uh, because it affects the budget, it affects the pocket, and that uh, a lot of people close their eyes to these kind of things. But I think if there's an alternative, if I were going to adopt uh, a child and I found out that this agency was now accommodating uh, adoption by homosexuals and lesbians and transgender, I definitely would would, uh, would find another source. Uh, if it was not available, uh, I would have to think that one through very carefully. The other alternative might be to start something. Uh, we got to offer alternatives. When we find something contrary to Scripture, we got to offer alternatives. Believers ought to be able to um, um, do normal activities uh, without having to compromise their principles and their beliefs and their morals. Time Across the Eastern Caribbean is 744. The name of the program is That's Truth. It's a live interactive call-in program. You don't have to call in. You can WhatsApp or text your questions to us. And you can send them to the following number, 1268-782-1454. Again, that's the WhatsApp or text number, 1268-782-1454. Or if you want to call and be put live on the air, the phone line is open and available and waiting for you. And the number to call is 1268-462-7420. Pastor, a call, follow-up to that question about the vaccines and the mark of the beast, is it possible for a Christian to unknowingly receive the mark of the beast? Well, that question basically is a a question that, let me just put it this way, no Christians would be there, we'd be gone. Uh, Remember that the rapture occurs before the revelation. And what I mean by that, before this begins to happen, if you read Second Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, we will be taken out, and then the man of sin is going to be revealed. It says, he that hinder uh, or holds back will, will hold back until he's taken out. And that has to do with the Holy Spirit. And when the believers are taken, when the Holy Spirit indwells the believer, the Holy Spirit removes his presence, and that restraining power is no longer there to contain uh, evil. And evil explodes, and we're headed to days that are worse than any of the days the Bible said there has never been, nor will there ever be a time is yet to come. So to answer the question, no believer would be there during the mark of the beast, uh, Christians would be taken. And um, so it's an emphatic, emphatic no. And I would suggest that you read Second Thessalonians chapter 2 to get clarity on this matter. Um, but um, no believer will 
unknowingly received the mark of the beast. The Bible is clear, by the way, that anyone that received the mark of the beast will suffer eternal damnation. There's no question about that. God decrees that in His Word. So it's impossible for a believer, uh, a true believer, to be deceived to that extent. Pastor, we have a follow-up question from a question last week. You remember last week there was a young lady who asked about uh, dating and marriage and young men or men deceiving uh, young women. And as part of that, you had stated something along the lines that it would be wise if you're dating someone to go to their home and see uh, how their home is kept or see how they treat their their mother or their father because most likely that's how they'll end up treating you or that's how they'll they may end up keeping their home in the future uh, follow-up question is uh, and thank you to the individual who sent this in really honest and laying out her heart and even sent some photos obviously living in uh, conditions that are less than desirable but uh, she's saying that even though she's stuck in those conditions, uh, she would never uh, bring someone to her home because it would reflect negatively on her, but she doesn't want to be stuck in that. And in other words, if through marriage she was in another position, uh, what are your thoughts, Pastor? Well, there's several things. I, 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 I didn't have the, um, the email before, and uh, you read it on the, on, on the radio. But having gotten it, basically, and looked at it uh, very carefully, I want to say a few things uh, to her if she's listening. Um, I want to explain to her, um, she asked, for example, uh, how long before a person gets married, uh, a man should, you know, marry a woman, how long should go on. I would like to say that you can't, I, I mentioned last, you can't set a time frame. It depends on the maturity and the circumstances and the capacity of the person to actually go into marriage. But I would say, generally speaking, uh, a man should be able to know a woman well enough for two to three years to be able to make a decision uh, as to whether or not she's a suitable person with character and virtues that he admire. Uh, the danger of prolonging this uh, courting period is that you don't grow apart when you prolong the dating period. You grow closer and closer and closer. And the longer this relationship goes on outside of marriage, it normally leads to some kind of illicit uh, sexual activity. So you want to uh, constrain that and, and uh, avoid that happening. And therefore, there should be a time frame within that. The other thing is that you can't be uh, kept there waiting indefinitely. I've known of people who've waited for years. I've known of people who've gone overseas to study. And the person who went overseas promised that they'll come back and marry. And uh, the person waited until four or five years, and then the person never came back. And that was a, a great heartbreak. So I do feel that there should be some certain limitations within that. Um, and then the other thing is that um, finances are so very crucial when you're going into a marriage. Um, if you're not in a financial position to sustain a marriage, I would not recommend it, because within your first two years, the most perilous uh, part of your marriage is finances. So you've got to make sure that that's in order. Otherwise, that can affect every other area of life, communication, sexual relationships, uh, a whole host of things. So you need to make that. The other thing I would say to her is that seek counsel with your pastor. Get some premarital counseling and see if the person that you've been dating, it seems as though you've been dating this person for quite a long time. And um, the person indicated that they're in the 30s, and that is very, very significant. Um the other thing is that I mentioned about 
men defrauding women. I, I wouldn't want to go into that again. Uh, the condition of uh, poverty that um, you showed on the video uh, that you sent uh, to us. Uh, poverty sh should not be a barrier, but sometimes it is a barrier to finding a mate. But if somebody really cares for you and really loves you, and they saw your position and even your home life, um, it should motivate them to really want to bring you out of that situation. So I wouldn't use that as a basis for the person not going to marry me or love me because of the situation I find myself in. I try to, if I were you, I would try to uh, focus on my character and uh, my life and my personality and not too much worry about the, the poverty aspect of it. Love always sacrifice for the object of its affection. And I think if a person really cares for you, uh, that part should not be a problem. Now, you also mentioned that, you know, the situation at home um, is not orderly. You mentioned your brother who doesn't like things in place, etc. You mentioned your dad who's never been a family person, uh, alcoholic, uh, terror of the house, etc., etc. And the situation is very... So your concern is somebody come, say that the house will be disorderly. My advice to you in a case like that is make the best of your situation. If I was going to invite, a, if I was a lady who was going to invite my boyfriend and uh, to meet my family, etc., etc., even though the house is in chaos normally, I would do my utmost best to try to put it in order, at least for his visit. Uh, I think that is very, so don't use the, the fact of poverty and, and that kind of thing to be a basis not to be concerned about your capacity to do domestic work and, and make things look uh, presentable. That's the other thing. You made uh, mention the fact that you think marriage was zero for you. I don't, dis I don't agree with you. Uh, uh, the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, lean not in thy own understanding, all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct, direct thy paths, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So I think, uh, don't give up. Uh, there's always hope. And if God has designed marriage for you, he has a partner for you. And uh, so don't don't give up. I, I have a missionary friend uh, that mis did missionary work in Barbados in the 60s, uh, went back to the States in the uh, 70s or 80s, I, I forgot. And then uh, I think she got must have gotten married somewhere close to 65 to 70, and now she's happily married. Uh, I wish I could tell you that story. But, uh, you know, uh, I suppose she never thought she would have gotten married either. But that was God's will for her life at the time, and God has now provided a wonderful husband for her, and she's now doing missionary work in the um, uh, border between America and Mexico. So don't give up on this matter. Uh, pray about it and uh, broaden your, your scope and your vision. And by the way, I might suggest that if you can get out from that environment and maybe visit uh, like churches, I don't know what church you go to, broaden the pool. Uh, your church pool might be so small that you, there's nobody there. I think in many churches that's the situation. There are young ladies and ladies who are are looking for partners, but they don't not have the suitable young men in, in the local church, and that's where you should have a fellowship of churches to widen the pool so you get access to other persons. Uh, you, you know, nobody's going to know you're there until you put yourself in a position where somebody can see or relate to you. So I would suggest that to you. Time across.
The time across the Eastern Caribbean is 7.54. We still have an hour and four minutes left in the program, so go ahead and encourage others to tune in to That's Truth. Tell them to tune in on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM. Maybe they're not even in the Eastern Caribbean. That's not a problem. They can listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org. If they would like to join us on Facebook, or maybe you want to join us on Facebook Live, see what goes on behind the scenes, and also listen to the program and interact uh, via the comments, all in one convenient location. You can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and comment your questions by the video feed. Pastor, a question that I have. If a pastor is... Visiting a church with the possibility of becoming the pastor of that church, does he have a right to see the church finances before being voted in as pastor? Hmm. I've never faced that situation. Uh, um, I suppose he should be able to ask those questions, but as far as actually having access, I'm not too sure. That might be restricted to members of a church. I guess I'm thinking of the scenario like maybe the church is in a lot of debt, and if he gets voted in and isn't aware that they're in debt, that could really be a— No, I think the church ought to be upfront with him. I think he ought to be able to ask certain questions about that, the financial position of the church. I think that's important. you know, pastors are human beings like everybody else, and especially if the person has a family and he has to make some kind of move, let's say, from one island to another or from lo- one location to another. I think it's important to know exactly, can the church really support this person? And to make, sometimes um, pastors have to make sacrifices, and even though the church may not be in a position to help as much as he would desire, uh, he might be willing to temporarily work along with them with the hope of building up the congregation so that they can increase and help him. But I do think uh, it's nothing wrong in pastors asking those kind of questions. You know, when I first went into the ministry, I didn't ask those kind of questions. I found myself in in great difficulty. Uh, As a matter of my first church I went into, uh, I paid my way uh, to move all my stuff at my own expense. And when I got there, they didn't even have a place for me to stay. I had to stay with a, another brother for a, a year until he told me I couldn't live with him forever. <laughs> and then uh, when I first got a place, when I found for the rent, there was no furniture. And I stayed, I lived on a, I, I lived in a house without furniture for about a year and slept on a folding bed that had springs with no mattress. All I put was a, a, a blanket over it and slept there. So that was adventuresome because I was young in my 20s and quite frankly, that didn't bother me. But in retrospect, I wish that somebody had sat down with me and go through exactly what's involved in in this kind of stuff. For me, uh, it was just getting the Lord's work. It wasn't concerned about whether they could pay me or not, whatever it is. It was just to get in there. But I think we're living in different days and different times, and we need to be, take those things into consideration because um, pastors are people like everybody else, and they ought to be cared for like uh, any other worker needs to be cared for. With that in mind, you've been in ministry for well over 30 years here in the Caribbean. For, to the young man who is setting out in full-time ministry, maybe a young woman setting out in full-time ministry in a missions perspective, what advice or encouragement do you have as they start out on this new venture? 
But one of the things I would definitely tell any person who's preparing for the ministry, even before they, they t- so I, I feel I'm called to it faster, if they're going to any kind of ministerial tr- training, my simple advice is this. Wherever, wherever you go, if you're going overseas to study, as much as possible, get to know a lot of uh, pastors, uh, serve in different churches, go on summer trips. Uh, that's one of the things I would, I would advise. The other thing I would suggest to them is that uh, try to keep close to their colleagues in their ministerial um, group because a lot of those guys who are leaving the school will become pastors in the future. And if they're going on the mission field, uh, you can't go on the mission field unless you be sent. So normally you have to raise some kind of support. So if you've worked in several churches when you're four years, if you're doing a four-year degree, and you've gone on summer trips and worked with different ministries, and you've kept close contact with several of the persons you've been to school with, et cetera, et cetera, when you leave within four years, you have a foundation at least that you can uh, you can contact people and let them know what you're going to do. That's one thing uh, I would strongly suggest that uh, need to be looked at more carefully. Grades are not as important, uh, in my judgment, when I went to school, I thought that was the important thing, to get on the dean's list, to be always, you know, A's, whatever it is. That was my main, main focus, to be honest with you. I just wanted to get out and get out. I never looked. I went to school with a thousand preacher boys and not in contact with one of them. Hmm. That's a shame, to be very honest with you. And we were very, I had friends that were very, very close, but we never, I've never corresponded with any of them. Looking back on that, that was a massive mistake. So that when we had one of the young men from our church leading to go to Bible school, I wrote him a letter. And I made a lot of these suggestions that I wish somebody had sat down with me and explained to me uh, what it means to get into the ministry, how it works. Uh, but I made sure I did that uh, so that uh, he wouldn't make the same mistakes I would make it. That's one thing I would suggest. The other thing is, if you're called to the ministry, uh, wherever you're going, you have to be able to use your gifts in the local church. The local church has to confirm your calling. You just can't get up and say, I'm called to be a pastor, I'm called to be a missionary. And the local church where you are in, nobody is persuaded that you have the appropriate gifts or the appropriate talents or you have the uh, the appropriate demeanor or even the drive for that kind of a ministry. So I think it's important that if you are called to any particular capacity in the Lord's work, uh, you start doing and manifesting your gifts and your talents within the local church and local assembly, get involved in those kind of, 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 of things. And then, of course, um, if you're going to the mission field, uh, you should try as much as possible to see if you can get onto a mission board unless your local church is financially uh, able to be able to do that. And most cases can't do that. So you need, need a lot of help from a lot of churches in that regard. As far as uh, a person going into the pastorate, I would say to any man going into the ministry, if you don't like studying, stay away from the ministry. You're just boring mm-hmm. people to death, and you just rattle the plate, and there's no food in it. That's one thing. I, so if you, don't, if you find that you don't like to study, don't like to read, I would suggest you just keep out of the ministry and maybe go and sell insurance or do something else. You have to be a student of the Word if you're going to be going to the ministry. Uh, and the other thing, of course, would be the school you go to if you're going to be getting any kind of training. Um, look very carefully and make sure that there are uh, Bible-believing, uh, inspiration of the Scriptures, etc., very orthodox, and that you're going to get the proper training in that, 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 that direction. Time Across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.02, broadcasting from the island of Antigua. If you have a question, go ahead and give us a call, 1-268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 1-268-782-7420. 
1454. Pastor, we're going to jump back to a topic that we began discussing, I believe it was six or seven weeks ago, before we got bombarded with a lot of listener questions. And let me not put that in a negative light. We are thankful for all of the questions that come in. And we begin talking about decision-making, especially as we are in the beginning of the year 2021 and the role of decision-making, putting it in perspective. You talked about the role of wisdom. And this topic actually was suggested by a listener, requested by a listener. So if you have a topic that you would like discussed in a future episode, go ahead and send it to us tonight, and we will prayerfully consider it for a future episode. Pastor... I believe where we left off last time we were discussing this was you were talking about the role of discretion as a critical phase in decision-making and what kind of questions a person should ask during this phase. Yeah, I think um, we started talking about the kind of issues that you'll deal with when it comes to this aspect. Remember that this question has to do with the application. Uh, we talked about uh, knowledge, understanding, and then discretion has to do with the what's, what's appropriate and uh uh, should I pursue this? And we suggested, made some questions that a person should be asking during this this phase. And we, uh, let me just quickly mention some of them again. Uh, first thing we, we talked about is one of the questions is, is this uh, option that I'm looking at is it a violation of God's Word? Now, obviously, we're looking at these things from a Christian perspective. You've got a decision to make, whether that be a business decision, a family decision, a uh, financial decision, uh, whatever decision it is, is, is there something about this that is going to be violating uh, the Word? Secondly, does it violate uh, the civil law? And the Christians have to obey the law and live within the law. So I can't get into a business that contravenes the laws of Antigua uh, because I would be disobedient to uh, the civil law. So whatever uh, laws are there. And then uh, is this choice in line with my priorities, my or my family priorities? Uh, because you got if you're thinking the decision-making and you're a family person, you just can't look at it from your own perspective. Now, if you're single, uh, you can do that. But if you are family, you have to look at it from a family perspective. And what are the priorities for your family? What are your personal priorities if it's an individual? Uh, would this decision I'm going to make hurt someone or negate my witness or my testimony? And do you have to think that very, 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 very carefully? It's not just about you as a Christian. You have to think of its impact on other people. Can you give uh, an example of what, something that might negate my testimony? Well, uh Let's suppose I, and this here could be, let's suppose I, I go into a business venture with somebody who is known to be dishonest. They might be a business person who has money, means and money, so I need capital. I don't have any capital. I might have um, personal capital in the sense that I have the business know-how, but I don't have the means. But to, to make the venture feasible, I join myself with somebody who really is financing the whole thing. But my name and my reputation is now coming to uh, suspect because of my association with this kind of person. I think people need to be very, very careful. The Bible talks about not unequally yoked together with believers. Uh, it's not going to work, uh, even in business, if you have a, a strong tie with an unbelieving person. I know you think that you know him well, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. But there are some decisions when the prophets begin to dip and things, uh, the the way and means of dealing with this could lead to some unethical behavior. Um, so that is an example uh, I will talk about. Uh, number six would be um, 
what would be the long-term effects of this choice I'm making? Not no, the short term might be that you're going to make money, but what are the long-term effects uh, as far as this is concerned? I think that need to be looked at uh, as well. Uh, do the advantages and the disadvantages, look at the, the pros and cons of this whole thing. Don't just look at one side uh, where it seemed to be beneficial, but look at the other side as well. Uh, I think that is important. And does this choice um, and this decision fit into what I believe is God's overall arching will for my life? Uh, you can't get into uh, anything in decision-making without um, the will of God being the umbrella under which you operate. So I think that is very, very, very important. Remember the supreme task of every man's life and every woman's life is to discover God's will and work towards its fulfillment. Everything that you are going to do has to be somehow on, be under the, the, sub, the, sub, the heading of God's will. Uh, whether it be marriage, whether it be business, uh, whether it be uh, economic venture, uh, whatever it is, it has to come under within God's will for your life. I think those are some of the key uh, questions that one should be asking at this point when it comes to this matter of decision making. As we continue to delve deeper into this topic, what are some of the broad parameters given to Christians in decision-making? Well, let's, let's come from the perspective here, believe it. The first thing that we need to admit, the Bible said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. So you can't, you can't uh, go into this decision-making without some measure of prayer. Christ said, uh, men are always to pray and not to faint. And uh, it's very, very clear that we as Christians should bring prayer into whatever we're going to do, including your business, your marriage, your family, whatever it is. So I think prayer is important. The other thing I think that's important from a biblical perspective is that you've got to see what you're going to do as a partnership with you and God. Proverbs tells us, in all thy ways acknowledge him. That means in all areas of your life, you acknowledge that he has a role to play in terms of directing you. Uh, so the, you acknowledge God by acknowledging His sovereignty over your life and even in your decision-making. It's important to bring Him into the picture uh, as far as this matter is concerned. Um, the other thing is, um, there are there any biblical prohibitions um, towards what you're going to do? And I just used an example where Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 um, we talked about the matter of uh, being unequally yoked together with believers. So prayer, uh, partnership with God, uh, look at any kind of prohibitions. And then there are some very serious uh, probing questions I think you not need to ask yourself as well, generally speaking. And I want to go through some of these with you, Brother Nathan. Um, number one would be, um, do I have all the facts on, on this particular venture I'm going into. And I want to, you to check some verses of Scripture here because I want to give you biblical references. Okay, I'm ready. Uh, look at Proverbs uh, 18, 13. Proverbs 18, 13 says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Okay, uh, so it's like you, you, you're, given an, you're given an answer, but you don't have all the facts, basically. Uh, the principle is there that before you make a decision, try, uh, and before you give an answer to these kind of things and your solution to the problem, try to get all the facts that are in. Look at Proverbs 18, uh, 17 as well. 
He that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. Again, when you, uh, your first advocates, you seem to be right what you're saying, but then uh, when a second person comes and examines what you've done, you find something uh, clearly, you know, it, it show your sight to the issue that you didn't see before. So I think it's important to, to try to look at the facts, all the facts, not the facts that you prefer to see. And that is where we're going to talk about another thing sooner, about getting people involved in terms of helping with your decision-making in terms of, of counsel. But that's one of the things. Uh, do I have all the facts? Uh, the other thing is... Um, Ask yourself if you're being pressured into making this decision uh, prematurely. Uh, is a hasty decision that you're getting into. Um, look at Proverbs um, 19.2. Also, that the soul be without knowledge, it is not good. And he that hasteth his feet sinneth. Again, is we, 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 you've got to have knowledge and not be a hasty type of person. So uh, it's asking you to constrain your desire to make a, an immediate decision. And sometimes you, you, you're almost forced to make a decision because the, the prophet, prophets seem to be there. But calm yourself down and maybe sleep one or two days on the matter before you rush into this thing because what seemed to be gold today might be fool's gold tomorrow. So the, the, the Proverbs has warned you there that understanding and knowledge is the key rather than acting in a hasty way. One thing that someone mentioned to Renee and I before we got married was to be in agreement if you're going to spend a certain amount of money uh, to sleep on it, unless it's an emergency, like someone's in the hospital or something, but to sleep on it and wake up the next morning. Because sometimes, you know, yeah. uh, it seems like I need this right now, but after a good night's sleep and you put things in perspective. Yeah. I, I think that's a very good advice. And as a matter of fact, if anybody is listening, and I think most people would agree with you that uh, if you can just have the patience and the discipline to think, whatever decision, even if you're going to do a course, for example, uh, think about it. Don't just uh, feel that you know this is the thing I want to do. Give it, give it some time, one or two days, uh, and think it through, and then you're more better able to make some objective judgment. But uh, so haste is something you're told to restrain. Um, look at Proverbs twenty-one five. Proverbs twenty-one five: The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness. But the everyone that is hasty only to want. Yeah, the, the, the modern translation really is the plans of a diligent leads uh, to, to advantage. But everyone who is hasty uh, comes surely to poverty. The same idea is there. Don't rush into a, a, um, a business deal because you feel the pressure. The guy tells you, well, you know, if you don't give me a decision by tomorrow, it's gone. Um, you know how many people uh, lose money by these investments? You know, a guy from Africa said he, he got $40 million for giving his your credit card number, your thing number, you can put it in there. You know, I'm amazed how many people are misled by this. You know how many yep. of those have received? And uh, I just look at them and just click it and let it disappear because anytime it's easy money and all one thing, there's something either crooked about it yep. or something dishonest about it. So just, you don't want to be rich. <laughs> and that's the mindset that people have. But uh, hasty decisions is something people need to be aware of. Um, so beware of a once-in-a-lifetime deal, uh, the lure of instant success. And don't let the lure of uh, the fear of missing uh, out on something drive you into a hasty decision either. And when in doubt, just don't. Just don't. Just wait when in doubt and, and just calm down. 
The other thing that I think is important, Nathan, for Christians when it comes to decision-making is what's the possible motive that is driving driving you. Um, Proverbs 16.2 is very useful here in this, in this, about this matter. Proverbs 16.2 says, All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. But the Lord weigheth the spirits. Again, God knows the motive. He knows exactly. But for us, sometimes we're very blinded uh, in ourselves. And we think that our motives are pure until we get before God and ask God to search our heart and, and stuff like that. So try to understand that you've got to, what, what's your real motive for this whole thing? Is it a godly motive, a material motive, a monetary motive? What is it? Is it uh, a vengeful motive? What is it, basically? Try to get that. And then another one is Proverbs 20, verse 9. Proverbs 20 and verse 9 says, Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. Yeah. That gives you an idea that we can be self-deceptive and how we, we view matters, and that goes also to decision-making, that we think that we've got... Uh, you know, uh, IQ that is so high that uh, we're not going to be misled by these type of things. So the whole idea there basically is to uh, get behind your motive. Another one is how should a, my past experience inform my decision making? Uh, you've probably made some bad decisions before. Uh, retracing your mind, what were the steps that you took? And what was the motivation behind that? And then uh, see if there's anything to learn from the mistakes that you made before. Proverbs 26, 11 is very helpful here. Proverbs 26, 11. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. Very, very classic. I mean, we won't put it in that kind of language, but the whole idea yeah. is there that you keep making the same mistakes again, going back to the same thing again. And it's simply you don't have the brain of a of a of a, of a dog basically, uh, and that's what he's saying. Very strong language, very picturesque as well. And perhaps you wouldn't use that kind of term today, but the whole idea there is uh, you, you don't make, we make repeat the same folly, same mistakes again, and again. And then Proverbs seventeen ten is also very helpful. A reproof entereth more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool. Again, a, stu- a, 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 a fool never learns anything. Getting the same blows or blows again. A wise man, on the other hand, has made a mistake and he's willing to listen and take counsel. So the whole idea is uh, learn from your past. You've made some serious mistakes in the past. You didn't listen to people. You didn't listen maybe to your wife. You didn't listen maybe to some good friends who counsel you. you and then you end up uh, with some terrible loss or uh, some injury to yourself or your family. Uh, you need to look at that very, very, very carefully. Uh, Here is where another one comes in. Have uh, good counsel or seek counsel. And there's so many verses in Proverbs. Proverbs 11, 14. Proverbs 11, 14 reads as follows. Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. I think that is self-explanatory in itself. It's calling for the idea that you need uh, counsel, you need advice. You're not a Daniel, you're not an Einstein, you're not the repository of full wisdom. We all need to get advice from other people, and it's wisdom for you to seek counsel and advice if you're going to make a major decision that can impact yourself in the long term. Proverbs 18.1 also is very useful here. Though desire a man, having separated himself, seeking an intermeddleth with all wisdom. Yeah, what that really says is that he who separates himself and seeks his own desire, uh, he, uh, he quarrels against all sound wisdom. That's really what it's saying. In other words, rather than listen to wisdom, 
he isolates himself from those people who can provide wisdom and that ends up in, in causing him some kind of injury and then Proverbs 18 2 a fool hath no delight in understanding but that his heart may discover itself again he's so self-centered uh, he is he, not prepared to listen to counsel and his own deceitful heart is going to lead him astray. So the, the principle there is that you need uh, counsel. So you have to have, have I asked counsel of any person or person that I respect and who are objective, who care about me. So I should be asking counsel, and maybe you're going to answer this later, but who should I be seeking counsel from? Well, it depends on the nature of the, the, the decision-making. If you're going to make a serious financial decision, uh, I would recommend that if you have somebody in the church who is competent in banking or in business, you would consult that kind of a person. If you're going to make a position about your marriage or some other thing, well, again, okay, you've got your pastors, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it depends on, on those kind of things. If I was going to, if you're going to go into education, for example, and you have a, a, a good Christian teacher or a person who's been a profession for a long, long time, I think it's appropriate to sit down with that person and, and discuss with him what you want to do, how to go about it, and stuff like that. Within the church, the, the pastor is not the embodiment of wisdom alone. Uh, every believer has the Holy Spirit within them, and every believer has a different gifts. We've all got different talents. And so there's nothing wrong in turning to somebody outside the, the pastor if they have this competence uh, to seek advice on matters. Uh, and uh, I don't think a pastor should feel threatened when somebody who's far more able than him in different areas is giving advice to a young As a matter of fact, he'd be wise to counsel the young person if he came to him and said, listen, this is the counsel I want, but I would suggest you to speak to this brother or this sister. And if it's not within your church, but you know another person within another church who is competent in those areas, uh, I would recommend that that person uh, advise them to seek counsel in that direction. Pastor, I've heard of uh, married couples who, like the husband does all the finances and doesn't consult at all, doesn't ask questions about the finances to his wife or get her opinion at all. Is there a biblical precedent for that, or should decisions be uh, somewhat made as a couple? Well, a lot of this stems from when you're dating. Those are issues you need to discuss when you're dating. I mean, Nathan, the mistakes that people make in dating, everything is about uh, romance, everything is about uh, dress, going this place, and that. but they don't really sit down and talk about what really makes a marriage work. And they're looking at the, you know, put a ring on the finger, jump into bed, and presto, everything goes well, and then they end up with disaster. But that's why they need to spend time discussing these kind of things. How are we going to handle our finances? Uh, as a couple and get the back and forth so you have an idea how he's thinking how she's thinking uh, is there a compromise here uh, in this matter who is more competent to handle money yeah. uh, you know there are some people that could take a penny and make it a hundred dollars I don't know how they do it they're just competent they can save there's some people that can have a million dollars passed through their hand they can't uh, keep a, a cent uh, again, uh, those are things you need to be aware of within the, the marriage. So I would say, uh, if it comes to those kind of matters, matters like that should be discussed with the couple uh, between themselves. How they're going to handle the finances? Who's going to do the shopping, for example? Now I do most of my shopping for my wife because I'm the one that normally goes to the supermarket, etc., etc. I have an idea. I can tell you exactly what we need, basically. Uh, I also wash the wares. That's my job. Uh, she does a, th a thousand other things, but those are how I relieved her. But that doesn't mean she can't 
purchase anything she wants for the home. It's just that because I'm constantly in the, in the supermarket, whatever it is, I just call and say, what do you need? So I do that. I do most of the shopping for the home. I, I, I take care of the wares and, the, and, and st- stuff like that. Uh, I think this has to be worked out between couples. And it cannot be emphasized too much that that's what dating is about, getting to know the person and getting to understand how we're going to function after we get married. Uh, that So I think that's important. So stepping a little bit into a different realm, let's say that a Christian brother and I are in business together. How important is it that we discuss those things ahead of time as opposed to just jumping into an organization together? Well, I've seen so many uh, Christians start business and it doesn't last. Uh, they end up some kind of problems, who, how you share the profits, how much how time sharing, a lot of factors need to be worked out. I think the best thing to do if you're going to go into business, whether a Christian or non-Christian, is to document uh, these matters. If the person is putting a certain amount of money, you put in a certain amount, document that. Is the profit going to be shared on the basis of the proportion of the uh, the, the investment? The, document that. Who is going to handle the finances? Document that. Who is going to do the marketing? Document that. How much time uh, each person is going to spend in the business? Uh, and how is it uh, re- remuneration? How is that going to be related to the amount of times? All of this has to be documented. Um, if you if it's like, like repairs, um, and you're putting aside some money for repairs. I mean, I, I can think of a, a project that my son is involved in with fishing, for example. I mean, they work those things out. Uh, what money put aside for replacing the engine, uh, buying parts. And they came to me before they even went into all of They're two Christians. And I, I said, to listen, you've got to solve this and solve this and solve it and decide on this. So if you don't, you're going to end up with problem after problem after problem. Um, so... All of those matters need to be settled. Don't think because you're Christian, um, everything's going to run smooth. Human nature is such that people are fundamentally selfish and look after their own interests. That doesn't mean because you become a Christian that you don't have a selfish element in you. And when it comes to money and losses of money, uh, you have a lot of problems. So try to specify how this thing is going to work. Um, if you don't, you're headed for serious trouble if on the basis that we're just brothers and you know two brothers together, so we, we're going to make it. It's not going to work that way. I've seen it again and again create such havoc within uh, friendship that people are now poles apart because they didn't sit down and discuss these matters and itemize these matters and deal with these matters individually and seek counsel with somebody who has a business mind uh, if you're going to go into something you haven't ventured in it before. And then get signatories on these things as well so that you have a document uh, that can be used in law to verify this is what we agreed on uh, if things turn sour in the future. Time Across the Eastern Caribbean is 825. The name of the program is That's Truth. And we are discussing the role of decision-making, how we should make wise decisions. Why is it important to consider these different factors? And I think that's a very timely topic to be discussing here at the beginning of 2021. I say the beginning of 2021, but it's hard to believe there were already more than a sixth of the way through the year. If you have a question, it doesn't have to be on this topic. We would love for you to give us a call and ask it live on the air by calling 1-268-462-7420. Again, the phone line is open and available, and the number is 1-268-462-7420. If you would rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to one 268 
Or you can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and you can comment your questions under or beside the video feed, and they'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner. Pastor, did you have anything else you wanted to mention? Yeah, just two other things, quickly, questions you should ask. Uh, have you considered the warning signs? And um, some verses in Proverbs are very helpful in that. Proverbs ten seventeen is a useful verse there. Proverbs ten seventeen says... He is in the way of life that keepeth instruction, but he that refuseth reproof erreth. Yeah, what I said that is that if somebody comes to you, uh, another believer, and they know that you're going into a venture, you're going to do something, and they just say to you, listen, I just want to warn you, and they want to, you know, don't be the type of person that turns off because they don't uh, think the way you think or they're not going in the direction. Uh, take the suggestion that is made or the warning that is given to you, uh, take it in, in good faith that this is a brother or sister who is concerned about your success and your welfare. And so when they tell you something that seems to be negative, uh, don't just brush them off. Uh, this is what Proverbs is talking about, okay? Uh, you don't want to go astray that way without listening to counsel and advice because it's not in the same frame of thought that you have. Then Proverbs 16.25 Proverbs 16, 25. 25. And I know we've been throwing a lot of verses out there tonight, so if you want to go back and listen to this and study it out on your own time, you can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse website, radiolighthouse.org. Scroll down to the second picture that you see, which is a large microphone. Right in the middle of the screen, there's a circle that says podcast. Click on that, and you can go to the podcast. It'll probably be a day or two. It'll be later this week before we get this episode podcast up there, but we will put it up there, and you can download it and listen to it. Pastor, give me the reference again, Proverbs 16. Uh, Proverbs 16, 25. Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Now, I, am, I probably gave you the wrong reference. I'm looking for that verse, Faithful of the wounds of a friend, but deceitful of the kisses of an enemy. Um, it's in Proverbs. It might be Proverbs 6. I, I look at that. I got, see if it's 6.25 instead of 16.25. Proverbs 6.25 uh, lust not after her beauty. No. <laughs> Anyhow, it's there. I probably got the wrong reference, but uh, that happens it's a pe- periodically. Common verse, I think, yeah, we're yeah, familiar with it. Yeah, but the whole idea there is that you know, the people who tell you what you want to hear. That's the kisses of a of a enemy. But a friend who really cares about you is going to tell you the truth as it is, even if it hurts you and offends you. And uh, is wisdom in such a case that when um, the person does that, that's a warning to you. Uh, it can't hurt you to at least to ponder these things and weigh these things without just blindly uh, closing your, 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 your ears to their counsel and uh, going headlong into your folly. And then one other thing, uh, Nathan, is consider the consequence and the poss- possible outcome. Uh, Proverbs fourteen fifteen. Proverbs fourteen fifteen. The simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. Again, uh, it's talking about the idea that you know a simple-minded person. Uh, in other words, the, the uh, modern translation puts it this way: the naive believe everything, but the prudent man considers his steps. That's what it really it has to do with the idea of caution and looking at it from. Uh, consequences in terms of what will happen if I take this step. This is what he's talking about. And then Proverbs twenty-seven, twelve. 
A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Again, the same thing, not taking heed to the consequences of what will happen. In their folly, they go on and they, they go to their own destruction. So you need to assess the potential risks, whatever you're doing, and have some kind of a contingency plan if that is possible. If this happens, this is how you can respond to it. And I think that's very important. Um, uh, the last one, then, and it goes with what we talked about when we talked the decision, uh, the matter of discretion. Uh, could this decision I'm going to make jeopardize my integrity as a Christian? And Proverbs 10.9 is a crucial verse here. Proverbs 10.9 says, He that walketh uprightly walketh surely, but he that perverteth his ways shall be known. Right. So it's talking about integrity as being the, the key thing that you should aim at. Uh, so you always have to be very watchful about your integrity. And um, this has to do with your um, not to jeopardize your people's opinion of you. So keep integrity foremost in your mind when it comes to decision making because the, the, the risk is there that you can be successful monetarily or financially, but you can become ruinous in terms of your Christian faith and your commitment to God. And then Proverbs 22, 1 is another good verse. Proverbs 22.1, as yeah. I'm turning there, thank you for staying in one book tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor than silver and gold. Again, it's put in priority of your integrity, your character, your good name, as opposed to just looking at financial returns. Uh, you know, you can always regain what you've lost financially, but you can never regain your character once it's gone and your, your, your personality is gone. So you've got to be very watchful in that, that, that area. And the last thing I would say, Nathan, without giving you a verse, is that whatever you do, commit it to God. And that's what we talked about partnership before. Yes. Pastor, we have a caller uh, from Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please, quickly. Uh, yeah, I will try to be as brief as possible. But you know, my name is Eric Carrington. Yes. Okay. Thanks for calling, sir. Appreciate your calling. Uh, all right. All right. You all just say that Mary is dead and Mary can't talk because she is dead. What about Saul when he raised up somewhere and um, the two of them been talking and Samuel been telling what happened to him uh -huh. and his Samuel is dead. Yeah. Well, look, the situation that you're talking about in the Old Testament is an anomaly. It's not, as a matter of fact, God warns people about necromancy, dealing with the dead. Uh, you must not consult the dead on the behalf of the living. That's a verse in the Bible. I can give it to you after the, after the program. In that particular case, it was not Saul that called up the uh, Samuel. It was the witch of Indor that Saul went to, and he wanted to have a council with Samuel. But uh, you notice that when Samuel did appear, she was terrified. She didn't expect Samuel to appear. But God miraculously intervened and gave a message to Samuel to speak to Saul, saying, your doom is coming. Uh, and so on. So this was a direct intervention of God on God's part. This is not the norm. God condemns necromancy, people talking to the dead on the behalf of the living. So this is just God that performed this. And there's only one time in the Bible, by the way, that you find that. And so you must not use that as the norm. That's the exception to the rule. It's not normative. Uh, but again, if you read the story again in, in Samuel, you find out that um, 
the woman was actually surprised that Samuel actually appeared. And it was God intervening to tell Saul where he was going to die, that God did that uh, because of, of Saul's sin. So you cannot use that as a norm. Look, what I will tell you is this, to be very honest with you. If you can find anywhere in the Bible where it ever recommends that you pray to any person other than God, you show it to me. That must be the basis of your faith, not what somebody tells you or not even what a church tells you. The Word of God is the only source of information on these matters. And I will tell you this, I have no doubt in my mind that if Mary could hear me, she would endorse everything I'm saying because she is the one that said, whatever he saith to you, do it. And he said, pray to the Father in my name. He said that to us. And she said to the people, whatever he say, do it. And that is Christ. Uh, what Christ said, you pray to the Father in my name. Never once do you find anywhere in the New Testament, anywhere in the Bible, uh, anybody praying to another person other than God. And I think this is where, in my judgment, uh, praying to Mary and uh, um, venerating her and worshipping her, in my judgment, is just pure idolatry. I have no doubt in my mind. But let the Bible be the guide, sir. I, listen, I can't understand why people uh, are not interested in, the, in their destiny. I mean, the most, the most, you make two major decisions in life. You know what they are? The two, when you get married, that's the, 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 the most major is when you got saved. Because we are only here for temporal time. We are moving on to eternity. Look, life on earth is just the preamble to eternity. We're just preparing for the next life. But yet people take it so callously. They don't even search the Word of God to see what God's Word says. And all I'm suggesting to you, sir, is to take the Bible, go through the Bible from beginning to end. And I'm telling you, yeah. it is not there. Trust yeah. God. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you that um, you said a plenty part in the Bible, right? But we have another question to ask you. Let sure, ask you sure. Go ahead. Tell you, right? yeah, yeah, all those people, those in heaven... Ah, they living. Who's that? You can hear us pray. Who's that? Those people where God have in heaven, like the guy on the cross, his mother Mary in heaven right now. Well, are they living or are they dead? Well, let me put it this way. Uh, we know that the body is in the grave. We know that the spirit is with the Lord. But they don't have access to us. There's no way in the Bible that they have access to us. We just we are well, look, we are shut up to what God's word says. We can't go beyond what God's word says. We don't want to go less than what God's word said. The Bible is the final authority on these matters. If you were to take some time and do some investigation on this whole matter, I would recommend if you had a book that uh, a book that you should read is Alexander Hislop book on the two Babylons. And what you will discover to your dismay, sir, is this that a lot of what has crept into the church, the formal church, is actually what was what came into the church during the time of Constantine, when they were trying to win over the pagans. They brought in the same, what they did, they substituted the different uh, uh, festivals and activities so that Christians would, would not be involved in pagan activities. So they created things in the church to resemble those things that were there. And that's the tragedy. And now when people want to go back to the Bible to show people what the Bible says, people have been taught this for 50 years. I mean, I don't know how old you are, but if you were taught this for 50 or 40 years, yeah, I but, understand um, how you think. Yeah, but hear me now. Yes, sir. I ask you a question. Yeah. There are people in heaven, 
all those who you believe in heaven. Spirits are in heaven. The spirit, yeah, the spirit of people, yes, but it's absent for the body is present with the Lord. The spirit goes back to the Lord, but the body is going to be resurrected uh, in the future, and the spirit and the body will join because you can't have a true humanity without both a body and a spirit. That's what constitutes man. But the spirits are there. But the, the body is yet to be resurrected. Uh, Paul talks about in, in Romans chapter 8 that one day the body is going to be redeemed. It's not redeemed as yet. Oh, so I do just ask him that question. So I want to say um, there are many scriptures in the Bible where people pray to other gods than, than the true God, you know. And they were condemned, and they were condemned for that. They were condemned, and, 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 and they condemned because you, you say that you can't find no other body, not in the Bible that um other people where you can find other people um free to other statue like they have them as the gods. Yeah, but they're all condemned for that. They're they're judged by God that that is idolatry. Idolatry is it's wrong. It is false. That's I know, right. I know. Right. Yes, sir. I'm just trying to tell correctly. Yeah, I agree with you with, with that statement. Well, That's pure um, idolatry. Well, I just want to put in a question there so you all can study because I just still believe that Mary is our mother. But you say you need not your mother, but is my mother. So um, all I would, all I would, all I would suggest to you, if you tell me, read your Bible. Okay, get a concordance, go through it, and show me one instance. I'm not even asking for two. Show me one, one instance in the one Bible. Is when, you, uh, when, when Jesus was dying on the cross, that uh-huh. is one. I'm, I don't I remember the other, or the other one is um when he was um preaching to the people in the in the, um the synagogues or the house, uh-huh. and their mother came to him and they said, "Their mother, your mother, answer outside." That is two. Yeah, but that's uh, we, we're not debating. No, no, but you're missing two things. We're not debating that uh, Mary was the mother of the, the of the man Jesus. We're not debating that. Okay, we never debate that. We know that. What we're debating or what we're talking about is praying to a person, a human being. Uh, and, and by the way, Mary was not assumed up to heaven. She was not taken to heaven. Mary is dead. Her body is in the grave. Her spirit was taken, but not Mary herself. So that, what about Samuel? Samuel in the grave too. What's that? Samuel night in the grave too when he dead? Samuel's body was there, but the spirit of Samuel appeared to, to Saul. Oh. So why she why put his spirit can't appear to us? Because that, that God is can, can control of her. When Jesus is in control of her. Yeah, because you you're putting what what you want in Mary, God has provided in Jesus and you're bypassing Jesus and that's the problem. You're putting Mary where Jesus should be. And that's idolatry. You're putting a woman where ma- where God should be. Okay, we will tell you good night. Because um, you have us started like we all are saying that we are praying for Mary for, for life eternal. We're not praying for Mary for life. We're not worshiping Mary for um do for for, for so that how she is God for for us. We are just asking Mary, can you do this for us like Jesus, like the the wine gone out and the people them get. get let me ask. Let me ask you one. Let me ask you one question. Yeah. Let me ask you one question before you go. Okay. Let me ask you one question. Who can help you more, Mary or Jesus? Who can help you more? That is the question. 
question good because I know I'm not going to say maybe I'm going to say Jesus can help me. Well, you you pray, you pray to him. I can guarantee you that he is much. He, he, he you, that's the person you should be praying to, not Mary. Mary can't help you. Jesus can help you. Okay, and even if you felt Mary can help you, Jesus can help you far more than Mary because he's God's son. So you just keep praying to God, to Christ, and uh, read the Bible and ask Him to open your eyes. As you read the Bible, and I'm going to guarantee you that you, you'll find that it's not there in the Bible in anywhere where anybody ever prayed to Mary, not even once in the Bible. Codrington, thank you very much for calling. We really do appreciate it. And continue listening to The Lighthouse. Continue encouraging others to listen. If you have a question, the phone line is now open and available again. You can call one 462 7420 If you'd rather not speak live on the air, that is not a problem at all. We have other means that you can communicate with us. You can send us a WhatsApp or text message at one 268 782 1454. WhatsApp or text 268-782-1454. You can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed and comment your question and it'll get asked live on the air. Pastor, you were listing one last item uh, in relation to the general parameters. Oh yeah, I, I'm saying that you need to commit your decision to God because we are not we are fallible and we make mistakes and we need to put it in, in His care and ask Him if you know show us we're going to make mistakes whatever it is. But I think this matter of committing whatever we're going to do, whatever decision we're going to make into His hand, Lord, I've done most I can. I'm a human being. I've I've used Your Word. I've used those principles. I'm about to make the decision. I want to put this at Your disposal. And if you need to interrupt my decision, you need to advise me, whatever it is, give me more wisdom, please do that. That's what I call commitment to him. We've got 15 minutes left in the program and getting to the question that I've been looking forward to as we've been discussing this topic, the practical actual steps. What about the actual mechanics or the de- of decision making? Can you walk me through the concrete steps of uh, making okay, the decision? L- let's, let's do for, uh, eight quick steps uh, to actual decision making. Number one is to identify the matter, the issue. Clarification is essential to effective decision making. So what is it you really, uh, get that cleared up in your mind. Uh, very Number two, gather all the relevant data uh, pertaining to the issue or the decision you're going to make. Number three, examine all the options when you gather all this information. What are the options now? Um, it, it might be two or three different things you can do, but look at those options. Number four, evaluate each option based on your established priorities. I think it's important that you do that. Uh, you examine each one, what those options are. Then what, number two, number five is choose the best option, having taken all of those four factors into consideration. Uh, choose the best option. Number six, Take action. This is now where you implement whatever decision you've made. Uh, decisions in the head must now become decisions made in the in, in actual practical life. Number seven, review and evaluate uh, what has happened over, well, I don't know what decision you're making. I don't know what, what you're going into. But you need to review and evaluate uh, at it, etc. Number eight, learn from the results of the uh, decision you made as you do your evaluation and review. Uh, and number nine, if possible, document uh, your conclusions as a result of the decision you make uh, so that you have some data to refer to in the future. 
I think those are, are well, I mentioned eight, but that's nine because I did include the uh, the, the um, documenting the information, etc. So, identify the issue, uh, gather the relevant data pertaining to the issue to be decided, examine all the options that are open, evaluate each option based on your established priorities, choose the best option, take action or implement, uh, review and evaluate, uh, learn f- uh, from the results of your decision making, and then document uh, the conclusions as a result of your decision making. Well, Pastor, in even within Christian churches, there is a perspective that you should be looking for a divine sign, whether that be that you should marry an individual, whether that should be that you should start a business or when you should start a business, when you should start a church building project, uh, and maybe not handwriting on the wall as was seen in the book of Daniel, but something really just aligning to be a sign. Do I need to wait for that sign? Um, I think that uh, when it comes to those kind of things these days, um, people are so misled uh, by having some particular feeling about an issue, etc. I think that we need to be guided by uh, the Word in in respect to things we're going to do. Uh, I think also we need to look at circumstances and uh, if they converge with the biblical principles that we're having. We had to look at resources. There's no use jumping into something without looking at resources. I think the book of Proverbs is, is talking about those matters of not rushing to something without having uh, resources. And I think when it comes to the church, in my judgment, the key thing here is uh, are the people being persuaded that this is what the Lord is leading? I, the church has to have uh, a, a restraint on the pastor. If, if that doesn't happen, he can become a total dictator. So that is where decision-making has to be finalized with the church. And I keep telling, and I talk to any pastor here, I says, your job is to persuade the church. But if when you bring the matter before the church and all sides are looked at, and the church says no, it is wisdom to restrain rather than push uh, where the, the people are not for whatever you're doing, okay? Uh, that doesn't mean you squash it for, forever. You might need to come back another time and say, listen, we need to look at this again. But I think that that is, the, in my judgment, I think the church is the final voice on these matters. Uh, and that's why the, even in discipline, it's not the pastor that disciplines. It's the church that disciplines. The pastor does whatever investigation. He brings it matter before the church. He makes recommendations. But the church is the one that imposes discipline on on, on anybody. So I, I, would, I would think we're looking at the, uh, the Word of God, if there's some guidance there. Um, you know, if a, for example, when we started building the two buildings, three buildings we built since we've been here, um, I used the book of Nehemiah as I preached through the book of Nehemiah, et cetera, et cetera. And the reason why I did that, I knew that a lot of the problems we're going to have are in the book of Nehemiah. I didn't want anybody to think I targeting by speaking specifically on a, a topic. So I went through the book of Nehemiah, and when I came to the problems, even when I came to them, they still thought I was trying to target people. <laughs> but So because it's a building program in the book of Nehemiah, I felt that that was a proper book. And all of the major issues, the discouragement, the frustration, uh, people who try to undermine whatever it is, I thought it was important that the church be exposed to these kind of things because you don't reinvent the wheel. Uh, if you're dealing with something, you get a biblical passage that deals with it, I would recommend that. And then, of course, I mentioned the circumstances at the time. Uh, when we were building, we could not do what we did today if that wasn't done. Number one, we had a, a, a cadre of young men, about 
10 to 12 young men that were willing to uh, get involved, actually do the work, so we could hire one or two people who knew what they were doing, and then the young men were able to assist them. And of course, we were able to give the young men uh, stipends, but we weren't able to pay them as we would normally pay workers. It was a unique situation. Then we had a builder who was a member of the church. He's no longer a member of the church. But what we needed, uh, he just was able to get it done. And after a while, he went. But without that kind of a thing. So we look at the circumstances. I think it was ideal at the, at the point in time. And then the resources. Do you have the resources to do it? I'm the kind of person that generally don't believe in, in borrowing lots of money. Uh, I like to think we've got the finance to do what we've got. I don't like to be in debt. Personally, I don't like to put a church in debt. At the time, we saw that we could do it, but we could do it by being very cautious. Every month, we had to look at the accounts to see what was coming in, and we bought material depending on what we had. It was a it was a, a week-by-week, month-by-month decision, but we built all we did without even borrowing a penny. And uh, it took a little bit while, but again, it wasn't 25 years mortgage or 30 years mortgage. I think we did all we did within five-year period. So I think those are things that uh, I would recommend when, when people are going into these kind of ventures. But as far as a past is concerned, um, we all got visions, but our job is to persuade the people and not try to just push through something unless the people are persuaded. Uh, that is my, my philosophy, my way of thinking in that matter. I would like to say that those people in the church, that when a church decides on something and you are against it, uh, it is wisdom for you to be able to uh, you know, the church has made a decision. Why make a fuss about it? Uh, uh, if you look at it another way, if the ch- pastor is able to persuade the people to go in a certain direction, and uh, you've got 40 people and f- 45 decide that want to go, 40 to go in that direction, and there are five that think we should go in the opposite direction, why should you think that your decision should be more important than the path that you will persuade for? In other words, it's an egotistical trip as far as I'm concerned. The church is, is called the pastor to lead. He tries to persuade the people in that direction, and if the church decides on a matter, I think even though you might disagree with it. Now, if, now we're not talking about something that's unbiblical. That is clearly what we're talking about. We're talking about something that's not unscriptural. We're talking about something that uh, is being done, but uh, there's nothing in the Scriptures that would contravene it or contradict it or it's against anything in Scripture. And that vision is shared by the people. Um, I think there are times when we need to accept the Church as the final authority in these matters. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question from Antigua. Can you please explain Matthew 18, 18 through 20? Those verses say, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Verse 19, Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. I'll say a few things about that, but maybe next week I'll deal with it a little bit more exhaustively. But let me just say this. You you can't take uh, any verse of Scripture in, in total isolation. For example, uh, any two agree on no matter it would be done. There are other uh, conditions for answered prayer. Uh, for example, if you ask in faith, you can agree on something you don't have faith. So it doesn't. You you just can't take a verse like that and say, "Well, we agree on this, and so therefore we we ask the Lord to do it. Therefore, it's going to happen." 
there are other things that if you ask anything according to my will, uh, it's another uh, conditionality in terms of what God is able to answer. So you just can't take a verse like this. But in Matthew 18, really, in terms of binding, it has to do in the context of church discipline. Uh, and you need to see that it goes from one into the other. And and basically, um, if you look at, I want to deal with it next week because I know the the, the tense, the Greek tense is, is really is what um, I forgot how it how it goes in the Greek language, but in the Greek language is basically is uh, what you have decided has already been decided in heaven. Basically, that's what it that how it goes in the Greek language, and and I don't want to speak off the cuff of my mouth and then I have to retract. I do know the passage very uh, and I've looked at it very carefully, and I'd like to deal with it in more detail next week. Uh, uh, without just giving me a rush answer, but it has to do with in the context of discipline, and it gives you an idea of how much authority the church has when it comes to discipline. That when the church has made a decision with respect to discipline and, could, and and has a basis for that discipline in the Word of God, God sanctions whatever discipline is exercised in harmony with His Word. So the church can be assured that whatever decision they make uh, in respect to any matter of discipline that is in harmony with God's Word, He endorses that. But I want to deal with it a little bit more exhaustively uh, next week. Thank you to the individual who sent in that question, and we'll start out, Lord willing, next week's episode with that question and more in-depth explanation. As we wrap up tonight's episode in the last four minutes, do you have any final thoughts you want to share? Um, I, I do feel that uh, uh, another thing that I should have shared with you before is that uh, when you come to decision making, it's about the understanding the dynamics that influence uh, decision making. In other words, a lot of factors that you yourself have to know about yourself of how you made decisions previously. For example, uh, some people have a very stubborn attitude towards change. Okay. You know, and that has to be taken in. If that's your attitude, that you are a traditionalist, you don't want anything new, you have to factor that in when it comes to decision making. This is the way I normally am. I'm just a traditionalist. I don't, uh, I don't like anything. I don't know innovation, whatever it is. That's one of the dynamics that need to be considered. Uh, what's your customary strategy of dealing with with the things? Are you a person that is reflective? Do you normally reflect? Are you the kind of person that is uh, investigate these things, or are you consultative? In other words, you ask people, or are you just a rash person? That's you. If you feel it, we do it. Again, that's a dynamic that comes into to, uh, to decision making, and you have to bear that in mind if that's the way you normally operate. And if you're going to join with another person now who is consultative, a person who is uh, reflective, you got to understand you're going to have conflict. Um, what role feelings play in your decision-making? Um, are you the kind of person that um, use reason or use intuition, you use a hunch? Uh, you know, you have that serendipity moment where you got Eureka, you know, this thing has happened, it's flashed in the mind. Is that how you operate? You have to factor that in, into your decision-making. Um, and then the other thing is um, your response to new information. Uh, are you open to new information? Are you close to new information? Are you antagonistic to anybody offer you uh, information that you are not privy to? Or, you know, you just don't want counsel, you just don't want advice. If that's the way you are, you are a self-will person, basically, and you're not open, uh, remember that, again, uh, this could be very, very detrimental to you, and probably that's why you've made so many decisions in the future, in the past, in the, in the past that has no resulted in certain consequences that you're regretting. 
So that pattern has to be broken. But if you don't understand those dynamics are interplaying into your decision making, you keep making the same mistake again and again and again and again. So I think it's important to understand the dynamics that are involved in decision making, as your personality and your character. You referenced earlier James chapter 1, verse 5, about the promise that if we ask for wisdom, wisdom. God will give it to us. Uh-huh. And I know in my own life when there's been decisions and I didn't have the answer and I even seek counsel from others, and that verse was brought to me, and I remember crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, would you please give me wisdom on this situation? And he did. He He opened my eyes to a perspective that... I hadn't seen and worked things out in that situation. So I would say that as a testimony to say that God will give you wisdom if you really cry out to him. And it may be through the the uh, advice of others. And the book of Proverbs, if I have one takeaway from tonight, if you need a manual for making wise decisions in the year 2021, you probably should start reading the book of Proverbs yeah. over and over again. Yeah, it's a very, very, very practical book. As a matter of fact, I just started going through it again with um, Dr. Morris. He wrote a book on Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, and Proverbs. I just finished Song of Solomon. So I'm going through uh, Ecclesiastes, then I go through Proverbs. Fascinating information there. Thank you very much for this information, Pastor, and thank you for joining us on tonight's episode. We trust that the information shared tonight has been helpful to you. Again, I know there was a lot of verses, a lot of information that went through very quickly in relation to this later if you're wanting to explore it further. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.